And we're back again. And this time, a ho- it's a Halloween episode with not even near a Halloween theme. But we don't give a fuck. Mason wanted to watch a movie he'd never seen before. And I suggested a movie that a lot of people I know haven't seen, but I love. Almost Famous. So Almost Famous, 2000, bombed at the box office. Spent $60 million, Mason, you like this, spent a shit ton of money on music rights. And then just bombs at the box office. It makes $50 million against a $60 million budget. And for all those people that haven't seen Almost Famous, which is, I'm assuming, most people, just go watch the movie. It's on Amazon Prime right now. It's super worth your time. Um, it's a great movie. But it's basically 70s rock. It's a kid journalist who's 14 or fi- I think he's 15. Uh, ends up touring with this kind of mid-level band and he falls in love and kind of lives life. Mason, as someone who'd never seen this movie, tell our audience, who's probably going to be watching it for the first time if they choose to, what what it was like. Um, it was really good. It was it was unique in the story like you don't i've never seen a movie like that and like progress in the way it does you know a beat writer for uh for this band that's getting all these opportunities he's young kid and um he's like handling all these crazy things in this in the 70s no less you know so like growing up as a kid is difficult already and then remove like our experience of being able to to text and call and like communicate with your overbearing mother. In His mom's scenario. hilarious. She does a yeah. really good job. Yeah, she kills. So um, no, just, just the way the story develops and um, from, from beginning to end and like talk about a, talk about like a star packed cast. That, that wasn't stars at, yet. At the, at the time. Yeah, exactly. So they hadn't hit yet. That's the crazy thing is basically one of the failures of this movie was there wasn't anyone in 2000 that was that person. The biggest star of the movie, you know, is William, the kid, mm-hmm. isn't a known. And Russell, the guy playing Russell, um, Billy Crudrip or some shit, can't remember his name. But he's, I mean, he's in stuff, but he's not going to carry a movie. You know, they didn't get a star. And it's really funny because Cameron Crowe, who wrote and directed this um, had just done Jerry Maguire. He'd just written and directed Jerry Maguire. Low budget, Tom Cruise, Cuba Gooding Jr. makes a fuck ton of money and he could do anything he wanted. And he chose to do this because in the seventies, when he was a teenager, he, he based it off his life. He was working as a rock writer in the seventies and was on these bands so this movie was super personal to him, which I think it really fucked him up that it didn't do well. But. Right. That's, that is really cool. The one thing about this is you told me, don't look anything up. Don't like yeah. no information, just go into it blind. And I am thankful for that. But that is really interesting. That's something that I would want to know. I'm always, you know, a movie is really good when you want to look after the fact, like, yo, what is this based on? Is it, re- is it real? What is real? What's not like, all that kind of stuff. So, um, I, yeah, I mean, I loved it. And like, I, 
shout out to the casting director for like recognizing talent early and two thumbs like, way up yeah it's too bad you don't get recognition for something like that at the oscars yeah or like or like at the box office even like yeah people would be like hey you know who you know who the cast billy in casting <laughs> right. fucking murdered it bro right exactly so i i mean just seeing like these people in like little roles that you're like oh my god that's so-and-so or that's you know hey it's dwight oh my god yeah. jimmy fallon's the jimmy fallon's the fucking road manager <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's so. this movie it's a testament to you watching it the first time i've seen this movie a lot of times i told my parents to watch it recently and they both had never seen it loved it um i always recommend this movie to people because it's one i think older people really know how great it is like people in their 30s and 40s have this awareness of this movie but i'm really scared that our generation's gonna it's a great movie that doesn't get talked about enough i feel like yeah i i really enjoyed it and i like i really enjoy those pieces that spend a lot of money on the music and like it's worth it you have to in this movie it's a 70s rock movie yeah you can't you can't not have the great 70s rock music driving it and i i will say this so the only thing i knew beforehand was the uh tiny dancer on the bus scene because i had been uh watching this youtube video of like iconic movie scenes with a you know (laughs) with with, music with music in it and so i had seen that scene before um and it was cool like seeing how it played into the actual movie itself it like out of context it's really cool it like it's a cool scene in context it's it's so great yeah yeah i totally agree so um i i loved the soundtrack i like loved every single part of it from top to bottom um, what was your favorite song other than Tiny Dancer? I have a, I have my favorite song outside of it because I think Tiny Dancer is clearly what comes out of this. You're like singing Tiny Dancer, but I have a, I have a song in mind. I want to see if it's the same for you. So I wanted to talk about because this is really random. Like oh, maybe a week ago, um, I was like in this like '70s kind of funk. I don't know. I was just feeling it. So I was like listening to different songs. I was on this Spotify radio station and it's playing all these different songs. And one of the songs that came on was a Oogum Boogum song, which is at the very beginning when he's like in the locker room with all these kids that are older <laughs> yeah. and he's discovering That's it really good. first time. So I, that was just like a cool discovered that song last week. And then it came into the movie and it, it works so perfectly for, for the scene. Um, and then I love the Sherry Amore. That, that's that's, that's the one. That's the one. I love that song in general. I love Stevie Wonder and like how they do it while her, she's getting her stomach pumped is, it's 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 really like, I want to say like ironically beautiful in a way of like here's this girl I love getting her stomach pumped and I still love her even though she's puking out quaaludes at the moment like. <laughs> I love that. That's that's it all makes sense. I've never been more proud of you in my entire life watching because that I my Sherry Amore, Stevie Wonder, great song for anyone who doesn't know it. And in the movie, I think 
you can have all these great songs. You can have Stevie Wonder. You can have <laughs> Elton John has a few songs. I think there's a Bowie song. Like you can have those great songs, but if you don't put them into context and utilize them well, it's a waste. Yeah. And I think what you're talking about with the My Sherry and More is, is it's that he's so in love with Kate Hudson's character. He's so in love with Penny Lane that even while she's getting her stomach pumped, because the buildup to that song is amazing when he's yep. dancing with her and he says, I'm going to boldly go where many men have gone before and yep. he kisses her. <clears throat> and then my Sherry Moore comes on. And even though she's puking her guts out, he's still looking at her like that's the love of my life. And there's something ironically beautiful about his love for her, even though she doesn't really love him back. Right. And I think this may be going even deeper, but it it's kind of a callback to like him missing out on school and like, you know, graduation and these dances, like you start to see the parallels where it's like, if you want to go even deeper, it's like he, his character doesn't even care about anything that's back home. It's like all in this moment. And I think that's why the song is really powerful in that, even though like <laughs> you, you like it shouldn't be, but um yeah no that's that's so so good i want to talk about kate hudson for maybe the remainder of the she's so <laughs> maybe forever <laughs> i her performance in this every time i watch this movie if you would have shown me this movie in 2000 i would have said this woman is going to be the biggest star she's going to win thousands of she's our meryl streep she everything she does is perfect she's funny she's cry everything she's beautiful everything works i'm in love with her character and the way she plays it in this movie yeah it's funny because at first like when they first have that interaction uh her first couple of scenes i was just like i was thinking like ah oh, do i like her like could you replace her and i was like i was like yeah probably and then as you get deeper you just you're like no i i i need her like ha, like her charisma like you know her her you know character outside of just who she is like she plays it so well she's this she's this groupie that doesn't define herself that way band-aid like, right band -aid. exactly and then they go back to yeah they do a lot with the band-aid uh you know it, <laughs> the band-aid name but um no yeah she's so she's so good like i think she she played it so well because of i, I couldn't tell you why she played it so well but she 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 just did a great job she killed it and i think if they're making an oscar clip for her in the year 2000 it's the scene where william says he she keeps kind of bugging him about what is Russell saying about me? Yeah, Should I yeah, go yeah. to New York? And they're in the park and he's William's so frustrated because he just witnessed uh, Russell trade her for a case of beer to Jefferson airplane, or I can't remember what band she gets traded to, but he yells at her and he says, he traded you for some beer. He doesn't care about you. And in, she goes from all of a sudden being lighthearted she starts crying and she's smiling through her tears and she goes, was it good beer or what kind of beer was it? I think is what she said. Yep. And just, she's crying, but she's just beautiful 
and even the when she's playing fucked up on the quaaludes, you can you can mess up playing I'm fucked up on drugs. Many right. many an actor have gone down that road and never come back. She kills that. She kills every scene. She's in. She's my favorite performance in the entire movie. I guess if I can, I'm just gonna say it. She's amazing. Her and Russell are amazing. But she, Kate Hudson. I don't know what the fuck the rest of your career was, and it really pisses me off that she became this rom com staple for all the 2000s because she was so much more than that and it it hurts i'm not gonna lie kate it hurts that's fair that that feels really personal it felt like you you took it to a she's just so good in this movie she's so good in this movie and my biggest my biggest frustration with young actors who do this and then have shitty rest of their careers is i know what you're capable of Miles Teller, I saw you in Whiplash, okay? I know you can do good shit. Stop giving me movies like Fantastic Four. It's not because I I hate you. It's because I love you. It's because I fucking love you guys. And I've (laughs) seen every time someone talks about Kate Hudson and, you know, everyone always talks about her and um, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Everyone always talks about her and just these rom-coms. She's with Matthew McConaughey in like Fool's Gold. She's in Brides Wars with uh, Anne Hathaway. It just makes me sad, I guess. It just hurts a little bit. I, I will defend uh, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. So we don't, we don't have fine. to go there. But... It's fine, but it's not her potential. It's only scratching the surface of what she can do as an actress. Yeah, that's fair. Um, going back to what you're saying in that scene, um where they're in the field and she's like bugging him about russell and uh, i think that plays into her character well too because she says like you can't take it seriously that's like the advice she's giving william as they're kind of progressing through this whole circus together and she's like you can't take it too serious otherwise you get hurt and i think that's her saying true to her character like she's she's hurt but she's like i gotta remember i can't take this seriously either so just speaking even more to how great her performance was. And then I think the most understated, I, I, this will probably be like the last, there'll be more Kate Hudson stuff, but I'll pretend like this is the last thing I'm going to say about it. She's on the plane after William says goodbye to her. She's had her OD incident. She's told him that her true name is Lady, which is a great name. And she's on the plane going back to San Diego from New York. She sits on the plane the stewardess is talking and she starts mimicking the stewardess. And then there's this camera stays on her. And the first time watching this again, I kind of forgot what happens. And I kept thinking, why are they doing this shot of her? And then you see her kind of realizing, well, William, like it's William, like William saved me. William's in love with me. And then she looks out the window and he's running along the windows as the plane pulls off. Just give me give me that scene for the rest of my life. Yeah, I I do love that scene, but I all I could think about is how how you could parody that like a million times because it is kind of like that you know the airport it's the airport scene whether you're like oh, yeah. going you don't get stopped at security or like you're just like running through this airport stick <laughs> like you you somehow found her through the one window or whatever like it can be it can be cheesy or corny or whatever but I think like me personally like i love that shit so it doesn't matter you give me a guy and a girl in an airport and i will give you a hit (laughs) fucking movie 
Okay. It's never not worked in a movie. Yeah. And it should happen more than once in a movie. There should be some kind of, you know, full circle starts in an airport, ends in an airport. Ross and fucking Rachel and friends do that shit at least like eight times. They play that <laughs> shit back all the time. That's TV, but still movies, movies do that all the time. And yes, people shit on it and it is parodied. But I think what I loved about it was it was just, they stay on her the whole time. Yeah. And you're just kind of seeing her work, work through stuff. And she sells that so well is just in terms of her acting, you know, it's going through her head. Right. Yeah. Totally agree. What did you think was the funniest bit or like funniest? Cause I think it's, it's a serious movie, but it's really funny. So what were some of your favorite like jokes or funny scenes? There's the, uh, I feel like they threw in a, a lot of like little stuff, you know, throughout, which was really good. Um, that first scene when he's trying to get an interview with them um, that we had talked about, what, what does he say? Um, you're he, I, you're incendiary. I can be incendiary too. Jason Lee is Jason Lee's a great comedic voice in this movie, and I'm glad they cast him. So shout out to the casting director. Yeah, definitely, definitely that one. I just think that's so funny because he's like trying to find a way to convince them, and he nails it. And incendiary is such a powerful word that you're like, I want to be associated with that word. So I love how they did that. And then they have the little like bit at the end about the fax machine and like how it how it can pump out like one page in 18 minutes or something like that like just <laughs> yeah. you know kind of making fun of the the 70s but um that's pretty good in 73 yeah so i'm trying to think what else because like there is a lot of little stuff just that's trickled throughout the movie we've been talking about the casting director a lot and just in this little lull i was gonna say gail levin we love you thank you gail did a great job awesome glad we could glad we could get that in there so i Um, think the funniest some of the funniest stuff is when the plane's crashing yeah i was gonna say that that felt like the most obvious one um there's just there's jimmy fallon talking about how he hit a guy (laughs) is pretty great I was okay. I I actually wanted to talk about that scene because I was like, they're going to die. Like this movie's going to be really dark. Like I was like, maybe that's why I wasn't supposed to look anything up. Um, And they, like they mentioned Bob Dylan right before. So I was like, Oh, is this like, you know, a connection to that? And I was just like, Holy shit, they're going to die. And this 15 year old kid is going to die and like not get his story. And that would have been bold. This band that's gonna, <laughs> this band that's about to make it, like, isn't gonna get their chance. I was like, "Whoa, is this like gonna go really dark?" And um, but, but thankfully, like, it's and it's really comedic too. The way the <laughs> the pilot opens the door, he's like, "We made it. We're gonna make it through." And like, they all the drummer just, slams it shut. Yeah, and because the other thing I was thinking about too is like they're revealing all this like really truthful stuff that they've been holding back so i'm like oh my god he's gonna die knowing like the best story he could have ever given like the the real truth and so it was yeah it was kind of scary it was like oh my god i don't want it to go down this way i think the the plane scene is so perfectly done because the whole movie sets up the second you're introduced to stillwater as a band when William kind of enters their world, 
you very much Russell tells you right away. I've passed the other guys musically, like I'm a better musician, but we grew up together and now we're getting too big and it's getting harder and harder for me to leave. So you understand the dynamics of the band. Russell thinks he's the shit. The rest of the band kind of resents him. Then there's the t-shirt thing where Russell's the only queer person on the t-shirt. Everyone else is out of focus, which leads to a giant fight. And Jason Lee tells him his looks are a problem, which is debatably Jason Lee's funniest line is when he goes, and I'm just going to say what no one wants to tell you. Your looks have become a problem. That's great. (laughs) But they build up all this shit and it's just building up and building up and they're not saying it to each other really. And then they're about to die. And Jason Lee's like, I fucking hate you, man. You've made us feel like shit all these years. And I slept with your girlfriend and they're telling the band manager, they all had sex with his ex-wife, which is amazing. And then William finally gets to tell them all off and say, I love Penny Lane and you treated her like total dog shit. So I, I love, it would have, it could have been done wrong if you just throw it in there, but it makes sense within the story. And he's been building it up to that. Yeah. Also, the other thing is like, I'm surprised they didn't go off on Jimmy Fallon's character more because he was pushing. We got to be on the plane. We got to be on the plane. And like, I, I kind of wanted them to dig more into him and be like, like, why the fuck did you put us on this plane? <laughs> like, I thought that's where it was going to go. I thought that'd be really good too. But um, yeah, it was like really revealing it, Like you said, it, everything led up to that point of like, this is how we really feel. And it took near death to, to get them to reveal that. But, um, and William included like his character really develops and um, the, the mentor that he has like tells him, he's like, Hey, this, they're going to want to be your friend. And like, he gives them the warnings and you kind of see how he, he was exactly right. Like the whole time. Um, but, but he gets to like, uh, what does he say at the beginning about uh, being being uh, merciless? Brutally honest, yeah, yeah. merciless, brutally honest. And and like he gets to live that out because he's been avoiding what the mentor had been saying the whole time. I don't even know how I haven't brought up Philip Seymour Hoffman as Lester Bangs yet. Because yeah, that's Gail, Gail, shout out to you, perfect. Right to get him as kind of this throwaway, not throwaway because he's important in the story, but he's not. He's probably in three or four scenes for right. less than 10 minutes of screen time. Right. He throws, he's Randy Johnson in his prime. He's six foot seven. He's throwing hundred mile an hour heat at you. You're not touching his stuff. He's amazing in this. He, yeah. He's one of those characters that like is smaller, but really powerful when he is on the screen, like everything he's saying matters and, and he's like bringing it full, full throttle, which you gotta, you gotta love to see that. I think the crazy thing is with his character arc in the scenes you see. So the first scene we meet Lester Bangs in is when William falls into this record store or it's like a radio station, I think. And he's over the top. He's, he's grabbing records. He's just throwing out opinions. He puts Iggy pop on it like nine o'clock in the morning, which I don't know if you know who Iggy pop is, but he's a fucking, he's really early punk and is just a maniac. It's not something you listen to on a chill like morning drive to work. But he's throwing his arms around, and he's just so intense. And part of you probably thinks, oh, this guy's like a caricature. Like, I get what he is. But then we fast forward to the end of the movie when William calls him, and he's like just kind of distraught. He's like, they fucking used me, man. 
and he gives him this really great advice. He's like, hey man, that's why you gotta be honest. I told you, like, we're not cool. Like, cool people get girls. Like, we can't have that. And he gives him this really personal thing about it's okay for us to be losers. We're gonna be smart because we're losers. And it's it's really cool to see kind of how his character from the first time they meet to the last time they talk. Yeah, because he always keeps it honest and it's like it seems more brutal at first, but then you realize it was necessary at the end because everything he said came to fruition and it was really important the whole time. Do you think Russell, the guitarist, is a dick or do you think he's good? Oh, man. Um, I think he's like his character arc is interesting, too, because he's like, you know, he's kind of like cocky and arrogant at the beginning but he's also befriends William to to get a better review to like to use him to his advantage but I think you know he has this realization when he's on the phone with William's mom where he's like oh shit like I need to this is a kid this is a 15 year old 15 year old kid yeah and so like I, I think he develops into this guy where he's like he ends up back at his house not knowingly like he didn't know he was going there but uh and he gives him the interview like he'd been waiting for and and he ends up telling rolling stone that you know everything we said that was written was true and um so i think like he has he has it in him and that's as much as i can say (laughs) on that i guess i think this movie does a really great job of showing flawed people because you know, it's it's a cliche to show the fucked up rock star that doesn't care about anyone, but yeah. people aren't really like that. Right. Human beings aren't like that. They're still caring. And Russell in the movie seems to be very much caught between this caricature of himself where he's trying to be, I'm a rock star. I yeah. trade girls for beer. I don't care about anything. But also realizing that he does care and he's a good person. He's really nice to William. And yes, there are ulterior motives at certain points, but he also asked William, Hey man, tell me about your family. You've been talking about myself. Like what's your deal? You can tell he really cares. And I think this movie just does such a good job of making him so complex that I'm torn. He is a dick, but he's a good person, which is, I don't know. That's normal people. People, can suck and people can be good. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Like he is a, he is a complex character. And I think um, one of the things that I think about is like that, one of those last scenes where he's on the bench and uh, Jason Lee's character is like freaking out that Rolling Stone wrote this like terrible article about them and how they're a struggling band and there's so much jealousy. And it's like, he's literally describing everything we just saw and Russell says something uh, to the extent of like, maybe we're not as great as we think we are. And um, so like you realize that he is, he's capable to understand like, here's how I view myself, but here's maybe how it really is based on everything that was written. Like, as I look back, it's, it wasn't as good as it should have been. I wasn't as good of a guy as I should have been. So um, I, I love how they brought that together towards the end as well. If anybody treats Kate Hudson's character like that, they deserve to <laughs> yeah. be shot. 
So him being such a dick to her is really frustrating. Also, their relationship, she says she's 16. He's at least mid to late 20s. You know, it's the 70s, I guess, but still. That's, See, that's, that's tough. That's tough. That's, that's where I can... I wasn't sure about her age either because, you know, that scene where he's like, I'm 18. Oh, me too. Yeah. So I can, I, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? You, no, Russell she's, knows she's not 16 or knows she's not 18. Cause he tells when he's like, Oh, you guys are like the same age and from the same town. He's very much aware. I think he just, I don't want to, you know, it's the seventies. So I don't, I wasn't there. But I think right. that there's probably 16s a little older than 16 is to us, which is terrible, not condoning any of right. it. Yeah, but, but just... I think right. he's aware. Or if he just tells her, she's like, I'm 18. He's like, I think he probably just doesn't care if she is or not. He's like, okay. Right. See, that's that's one thing I was trying to figure out. Like, if there's an age difference between William and uh, and Penny. and I think she's the... like a year older than him. Okay. That makes sense. That's uh, it's yeah. fucked up. It's pretty yeah, fucked it's, up. It's, it's, I think yeah, we can I mean, we can we can say it's not cool. <laughs> yeah, if we want to go into woke or broke, I think. Yeah, I think the movie. I think the movie's super woke because there's this like caricature of groupies. I keep talking about like caricatures of yeah. rock stars that don't give a shit. And there's every movie you've ever seen about rock stars groupies to quote school of rock they're sluts they sleep with the band you know they're comp it's complex and they show penny lane in this complex light she loves the music she loves the band she's not just this she's not just a groupie she's a huge fan of his she wants to help him with his music and she thinks maybe that he loves her you know it's kind of this really it's really honest view of kind of what i think it is and then it's a very honest view of what happens when it's time for the girlfriend to come back and the road trips over, they kick her to the side and then you get to see the falling out of it, which I think was really woke. Right. Yeah. I think, and that's the thing that I was curious about was like when, when they're like, let's deflower the the journalist or whatever. And it's like, Oh that, yeah. You know, like that's something that's like, what, what, like, I wonder how that ages now. Like, I mean, you're it's a talking movie about, about the 70s. I know, I know. That's what I'm saying, though. Like, it's a different era, so you're like, it's commentary on a different time. Um, you but, definitely you could know. make that scene today, yeah. Right, yeah. Like in a modern context, but um, no, I think uh, I think all the relationship, like this weird love triangle between, you know, it's. I feel like it's one of the most true like love triangles because you also have um like russell and russell and william not like that kind of love but where they're they're like it's this friendship almost and like this some some level of respect uh across the spectrum because i I really liked when russell was at his house and he's like oh maybe maybe she wanted us to end up together like i wanted to be with i wanted to be with her and you wanted to be with her and she just wanted us to be together and he's yeah yeah. Yeah. That's so great. I, I really like that part too. I think it tire the movie's aged really well and I feel like it's aged well in terms of just it looks great. I think it looks like it could have been made 
today. I think right. the shots are really great. I think everything they're doing in terms of direction, like I said, when he stays on her a little longer, this the different shots of the bus. There's just there's so many cool cool yeah, shots I'm, and cool. I'm scenes. wondering why it didn't do as well at the box office. Like I, so in my years of research on this, because I've always <laughs> something right. that bothers me. But it's I not, mean, movies, it's not adding Shaw- up. <laughs> Shawshank Redemption bombed at the box office. Um, really? Yeah, Shawshank Redemption notoriously did terrible numbers. I did not know so, that. Yeah, so there's a lot of movies that are great, but through people, Shawshank Redemption is the example. They didn't know how to market it. There's nothing in there, that title, that tells you what it is. Also, how do you pitch the fact that this guy's going to be in jail for years and then break out through a river of shit and go to Mexico? Just to, and that's how it ends. You yeah. know, it's a hard movie to pitch. Some movies are hard to sell. In terms of almost famous, from what I've read is is there wasn't really a star. Cameron Crowe had just been done Jerry Maguire a few years earlier, and people were kind of looking at this like, "What he did Jerry Maguire, which is this cool modern football, and now he's writing something about seventies rock." And there's we don't know anyone in this movie. Right, and I guess he was furious, Cameron Crowe, because he felt like DreamWorks, the studio that produced it, he felt like they didn't get behind it. He felt like they didn't go out there and sell the movie. They didn't market it for him. So I guess he was fucking pissed and hated DreamWorks probably to this day, because he felt like I made this really personal, amazing movie, and you guys just didn't like it because it wasn't a star vehicle essentially. Right, that's so interesting to me that. I mean, that's the business aspect of it because obviously the the art and creativity part of it was was great. Even the talent part, like like we said, they, they did a great job across the board of bringing on these people that eventually would be fame, which is kind of ironic that it's called Almost that's Famous. It's Almost Famous, yeah. Oh, clap, clap, clap. I never thought of it like that. That's, that's what I'm here for. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I get paid the big bucks. Yeah. No, I think... I think some movies just are harder to sell the concept because almost famous. If I would have explained to you what this movie was, you would have had preconceived notions of it, which is why yeah. I, I always hesitate to tell people what movies are about when I recommend them, because I think anyone that watches this movie would love it. But when I'm like, Hey, it's actually a movie about a seventies rock band. It's a kid journalist follows them around. They check out. Like, oh, like, you like rock like that? I don't. Sorry. And they don't get it. You don't have to love 70s rock to love this movie. Yeah. I was also curious your thoughts on, like, uh, putting yourself, 15-year-old Chris is this journalist. I had that (laughs) Um, written down as a question for you. I would have been so scared. I would have been, like, freaking out around, like, you know, the drugs and all that kind of stuff. And I feel like I I was just impressed that he like held on for so long and like, you know, disobeyed his mother with how long he was on the road and all this kind of stuff. And then I thought about the other way, like, damn, I, maybe I do all the drugs. Maybe that's like the path you go down because there's no, you know, (laughs) there's no rules. So I don't know. I was, but I was curious what fit. I think realistically real 15 year old Mason is like, Oh my God, I'm in over my head. 
I'm going home. I can't do this. Like that's, that, that's how I imagine it going for 15 year old Mason. I know that I was not mature enough to have, that's the thing is in the movie, they established that he's really mature. Right. He's, can do, he's very independent. And I think it's also a testament to how much more independent people were at that time. Yeah. Because like you said, no cell phones, he just, just leaves and he's just figuring stuff out on his own. I know when I was 15, yeah, being around the drugs, being around that much shit going on, I would have, it would have broke me. The music would have been fools. Really cool. I could have like, been, I could have like, been like, let's just hang out at the concerts. Yeah. Like backstage, like all that kind of stuff. Even like maybe the journalism stuff would have been fun. Like asking questions and doing that kind of thing. Yeah. But I would I mean, love to talk to someone about their music. Yeah. But I could, I would know mentally I was not at 15. I was not mentally ready to deal with the shit he's dealing with. And, and the people too. I think the people are like so unique and different and, I would have just been like, what is going on? I I think his Zoe De Chanel as his older sister. How oh, have we not? Wow. Yes. Yeah. So let's we haven't even mentioned her name. Incredible. Only in like two scenes, but really important. When she gives him the records and mm-hmm. kind of tells him, listen to this with a candle. You're gonna this is gonna change your life. Um, Zoe De Chanel does such a good job, I think, of establishing him of hey. You can be eccentric and it's okay. And I think that that kind of goes into it because he falls in love with that world because his sister introduced it to him and now she's gone. And he basically lost his sister for this rock and roll culture. And I think that's what makes him love it. So I think he loves everything. I think he loves the peculiarity of the people when he's, when he goes to the first Black Sabbath Stillwater concert, when he's saying goodbye to everyone, he's like, yeah. he's like Red Dog, he's like, stay frosty, man. He <laughs> right. loves the culture, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's like the early signs of um, what, what's his mentor's name again? Lester Bangs. Lester Bangs. That's like the, one of the first things he tells him. He's like, don't get sucked in. Like, the, the, you're going to think these people like love you, but they don't. And you can just tell he's so eager to, be a part of it and yeah and you can see it in the way he talks and how excited he gets when when he sees all these people and um so i i just think that was really key because it all comes together really well no i totally agree i think i think his love of the culture is what is what brings him into that and i think it's really interesting that his psycho mom it turns in from I think he's supposed to be there three or four days yeah right he's supposed to i think he's supposed to leave after they go to arizona shout out yeah and he gets electric yeah he gets electrocuted and they have to leave and then when his the girl's running on the bus like, your mom says she knows what's going on <laughs> that's that's really great everything with the mom when she's teaching the class she's yeah. really funny in this she's great in general but she's really great in this movie yeah uh Speaking of like the smaller, funnier bits when she's like, my son has been kidnapped by a, a rock band. By a rock band. And the like the student in the class is like, what? <laughs> like, what did she just say? taking notes. Yeah. Um, one other like funny scene that we didn't mention is when they go to the, they're in Topeka and they go to the, that random like house party or whatever. Okay. Let's, let's talk about that scene. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Let's dive one, in. I think it's funny when he's doing the whole like, the whole like this is real man like this stuff is real. like he's giving them 
the wisdom of this like older dude um which is i think just a really funny trope in general and uh when he's like you want to see me <laughs> feed this mouse to my snake and he's like yeah man like and and then he starts to trip and i think the final words uh bit is really funny too when he's on top of the roof about to jump off um i, I love that that like back and forth of like him trying to figure out his final words <laughs> before he jumps so that's one of the most iconic scenes of the movie yeah besides besides the tiny dancer scene i'd say airplane tiny dancer and um party scene are yeah definitely the, the most three that like stand out yeah and have been ripped off the most and have been so entourage uh shout out Polly malash we watched entourage in college together and there's an entourage episode where Vince does the exact same thing. He loves he loves almost famous. He goes to a local party, stands on the roof, jumps in the pool, does the whole bit, <laughs> and it's great. But Paulie at the time didn't know what it was from, and I was like, "Oh, they're doing almost famous." But just to set the context, I guess for the scene for people is is they just he's just got a huge fight with the band over the t-shirt. What does the t-shirt mean? The t-shirt means everything. The writing in this is really good. Yeah. Really and I, I want to talk about that after this, just how well written this movie is. But the t-shirt is everything. So he leaves and he's like, fuck these people. I want, like you said, real people. Goes to a, these kids were all too. He's like, hey, just some good old real people. He hears that word, triggers him. He's like, sounds good. I'm in your van. Let's go to this party. When he's talking to that kid that clearly looks like he's got the super long hair, big glasses, and just looks like he's yep. stolen out of his mind. It's like, you man, your room, this lamp, this is this is everything, man. And he's on the ground, and everything about that house party is amazing. To the roof scene, I'm on drugs. He's like, tell this to Rolling Stone, <laughs> and then he tries to change it, and then I'm a golden like, god. <laughs> I'm on drugs, and he's like, what does he say? He says, I love music, and everyone's like. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that's a really funny bit i want to uh, talk about the writing this movie is so cameron crow also wrote fast times at ridgemont high wow. for all you fans at home keeping score that's a great fucking movie and he wrote jerry Maguire, which is also i love jerry Maguire. but this movie is really well written there's some of the little things he does as i was describing with the um he keeps saying i want to meet real people then the the van full of kids, or I guess big old, yeah, big old van full of kids drives by. It's like, hey, come to our party. He's not really into it. And they're like, just some good old real Topeka people. They say real Topeka people, and he's in. They do such a good job of dropping these little things that kind of snowball into bigger things. Yeah, and I think, like, I'd say all the dialogue is really natural, too. It's these, like, constant back and forths of the band members and, like William chime, William chiming in only when, nest like when he f- feels like it's right, like and that's his character and that's how we, they play into it. So, um, yeah, I loved and, I mean that's the dialogue by itself. But like I said, the story is really unique and that's why I think I like the writing so much because this is much different than any like any movie I've really seen before as far as plot goes, um, and like I love how they bring it all all together. I love how we've been saying like funny bits just like throughout, but whatever. There's a, I can't believe I haven't talked about the bit that the editor of the Rolling Stone 
doesn't realize that he's a teenager. Oh yeah. And every time he's on the phone with him and he has to try to be like older. Yeah. He's, his mom's like, can you come fix the garbage disposal? He's like, I know my old lady hates it if I don't get to it right away. Yeah. And then later when he's just had sex for the first time and one of the girls picks up the phone and he's like, get it together, man. We're professionals. <laughs> I love all those bits. Yeah. I love that. He's just like pulling that off as like a, and that goes back to like 15 year old Mason. I would have never lied. I would have just been like, Hey man, jig is up. I'm 15. Like I can't, you gotta I can't tell him it. it's a think piece, bro. He'll yeah. love it. It's a think yeah. piece about a mid-level band that's fighting with stardom. Yeah. It's really great. And Dwight, when Rain Wilson's talking to him and they're kind of shitting on the first draft of the story, like, hey, this looks like what the band told you to write. And Rain Wilson keeps having a conversation with him that's different than the conversation. Yeah. He goes, oh, you like them? They treat you good? And he just keeps like firing off these little <laughs> one-liners at him. I think that's really underrated. Yeah, until he's just had enough. He's like, I got this. I'm, I'm going to write it tonight. And he cranks it out. And he writes in it, we're, we're flying at 7,000 feet and we're all going to die. <laughs> which is really great i think my biggest my biggest takeaway for why people should love and appreciate this movie is just there's so few it's so well like written directed performances it takes all the things you need to have a good movie and it has it and i don't think you have to like i said earlier you don't have to love rock music you don't have to love the 70s Mm-mm. to really appreciate this movie yeah i think i think for me on first watch like if i will say this you don't have to like rock music you don't have to like music in general which everyone does but like if you do like that music if you do like 70s music it's it makes it even that much better that's why i love the soundtrack so much like they hit everything they did hit hit perfect in context all that kind of stuff like even like a smaller song, like the Ooga Booga song. Like, I love that. And that's random. Um, but with that being said, like, yeah, really well written. Um, I love that they spent a lot of money on, on music and maybe they don't think that was a good idea now, but um, it, it makes, it really does make it that much better. And on top of that, like seeing it for the first time, like I said, you you get to experience this like way different story from from I, I like I know I've said it a couple of times now but I don't I couldn't compare it to anything else like and I think that's why it's important to you know let somebody be like hey this is a really good movie just watch it and and tell me what you think yeah I I, I would implore everyone to and I, the other question I had for you is in a movie with a billion great characters and a billion actors we both love what was the what was your favorite performance like what stuck out to you whose performance you were like they are really great in this uh i'm just gonna go outside of kate hudson because we kind of already talked about that but um (laughs) i i really liked uh russell i i thought he was awesome i liked how he developed um and like he's kind of just like a i don't know he's just like a cool character like he's that 70s rock star that uh you know plays his music does his thing but 
he's also like learning about himself. I don't know why that's cool, but like it is. <laughs> learning about yourself and in a reflection is cool, kids. <laughs> yeah, so that's I, I, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Russell as as my favorite probably. I thought you had a follow-up joke coming, but you kind of just left it. You kind of let the ball drop. I did. I was gonna go somewhere with it, and I was just like, I don't, I don't, I don't have. I don't know how he. Me. I don't know how he didn't become a big, huge yeah. star. How he yes. wasn't. He is so good in this role. How yeah. he didn't become a leading man, the next Brad Pitt, the next like Matt Damon, just opening movies doesn't make any sense to me. I've yeah, never he, understood it. He was really, he was really, like I want to say, fun to watch. Like he you know the way he interacted on every scene between william or penny or just as they're watching him uh from the side i i don't know i thought he killed it this this movie is just so you're aware too like there's this is a huge cult movie it's like one yeah, of those movies where people are up they just did a 20-year reunion on you me and you like i guess people don't know we like those vanity fair like round table stuff Mm-hmm. They did like a three hour one with all the people from the cast coming Dang. in. And this was like during the pandemic where they all came in and talked about it and being a part of it and how it was like the greatest experience of their life. And there's a pod, there's literally podcast that goes through and spends like hundreds of episodes just breaking down everything about almost famous. It's wow. insane. Yeah. I feel like movies that do, that do spend a lot on the soundtrack end up having cult followings like that like you know in the past we've um, talked about dazed and confused and like how big that's i think personally like maybe one of the biggest cult followings and that's like pure soundtrack almost like not not to downgrade pure matthew mcconaughey right yeah not not to um speak poorly of like the movie itself because i loved it but um very driven by the music and and the era um and those kinds of things so this movie, it makes sense to me that it's such a cool movie because once you once you dive down the rabbit hole, like you said, you finished it and you're like, oh my God, what's what's this based off of? And then you start reading stuff that mm-hmm. I've read about Cameron Crowe like really being with Leonard Skinner in the 70s, losing virgi- his virginity on tour with Leonard Skinner in the South and like him writing for these magazines. And once you dive down the rabbit hole of it, it sucks you in. And then you'll rewatch the movie and then you like it even more and you're looking yeah. for things. And it's one of those movies that once you've seen it once, you're going to keep coming back to it. Yeah. That's how these things build is like, you are invested. You are fully invested in between like, we looked up the casting director just right now. Cause we liked it. Jill. So yeah. Jill, Jill killed. And yeah, you like dig deeper and deeper. And uh, that's why those round tables, like do really well because people want to hear it from the horse's mouth of like what was it like on set and and looking back now because you were on set with all these people that are like have gone on to do like big things and like do their own thing even though they might have been in a smaller role in this one it just bums me out that really great movies sometimes don't make money and the business aspect of movies really bums me out because marketing matters. Yeah. Because it just shows the fact that, like, that Transformers like six will make <laughs> hundreds of millions yeah. of dollars, and this movie makes like fifty million dollars. That's tragic to me. Yeah, I think it just goes to show that the commercial success isn't when you're talking about 
best movies or favorite movies like commercial success should be like one of the least the the one of the least leading things like in your algorithm or or your checklist of of things because i think i didn't know that about shawshank redemption earlier like that's that is consistently ranked as one of the greatest movies ever and i'm shocked yeah, that people people didn't well. see it when it came out and that's what didn't win any oscars yeah and almost famous big old goose egg at the oscars how kate hudson didn't win best actress i will write to the academy for years about that i am curious well, do you know who won that year or who she was um what's uh we can do let's get our uh let's get the intern on it hey in, producer intern <laughs> yeah you hop on it jamie can you uh <laughs> nice joe joe rogan's canceled yes. <laughs> Actress. this is this is live folks this is live i should just say winner because i guess it'd be the 2001 oscars because it was 2000 movie julia roberts for aaron brockovich that makes me even more mad oh my god <laughs> that really pisses me off i shouldn't have done this wow who that the, is who, who are the other nominees I'm curious. who the hell and, and why are you so pissed off about julia roberts have you ever seen air have you ever seen aaron brockovich no well watch that movie and then talk to me about why i'm upset okay. after seeing kate hudson in this movie tell me i shouldn't be upset this okay. is my problem with other people is that Chris? Just calm down. It's fine. Tell, tell me fine. The, tell me the other nominees. What are we working? No, on? let me vent about how other people need to tell me. <laughs> tell me <calm> down. <laughs> so we have Joan Allen and the Contender. Never seen it. Ellen Burstyn and Requiem of a Dream. <laughs> Juliet Biennale in Chocolat. <laughs> I watched Chuck a lot. It was just delightful. Yeah, what is that? So what is that from? I was gonna say these are all movies that other movies <laughs> make fun of. Uh, Chuck a lot is in. Um, oh my God! It's the uh, Jason Segel, Paul Rudd uh, that were the best <laughs> friends. And um, I love you, like, man. Yeah, I love you, man. Duh. I love you, man. Where he's like, I watched Chuck a lot, and it was just delightful. And it's super funny because Jason Siegel's watching it at one point and he's like, it's stupid, which is where we got that from. Where he's like, right, so yeah. stupid. And then um, Julia Roberts, the winner for Aaron Brockovich, such a compelling performance that was. I love how this is just me ranting about the last 15 minutes. So this is just me ranting about this. But that is really frustrating because I'm going to look up, I want to look up Almost Famous, what Oscar nominations it got. Because I know it got I think it got some, any? I know it got some, but I can't remember what it was from. So it got it won for best original screenplay. Okay. So go, shout out to yeah. us talking about the writing. Yeah. Oh, she got a not okay. We can't shit on it. It's fine. She got nominated for best supporting actress. Okay. It's fine. Okay. She, and okay. Who who won that though? Oh, so did Frances McDormand for uh, the mom. So they both got nominated. Nice. Nice. Um. Da, 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 da. Oh my God! Really, guys? Oh, Who I can't believe they. How, they do, you, do you think she's a be, Do you think she's a supporting actress in that? Yeah. Who's the lead actress? I don't know if there is one. That's. What I, oh my. God. God, that's even worse. I shouldn't have looked up who won. I'm more <laughs> mad than I was about Julia Roberts. So Marcia Harden won for Pollock. 
wow. I know nothing about that. You want to inform the people? So Pollock is this movie with God, what's his name? I'm trying to think of so Jack it's about Jackson Pollock. Okay. And so it's it's a movie that's fine. It's just fine. <laughs> Super average. But Ed Harris plays Jackson Pollock and she plays the wife. She plays his wife. She doesn't do anything. She did nothing to deserve a best supporting actress. Kate, if you watch Kate Hudson, I implore anyone, go watch Pollock after you watch All the Famous and be like, oh, who who did better? Yeah. Penny Penny Lane is iconic. No one yeah, you don't even know who this lady is. You've never seen Pollock. It's it's fine. The movie's super average, but this is probably the last thing I'm gonna do before I just stop us because I'm too upset. Is things the Oscars love are period they love period movies and they love like biopics. You know, Queen guy wins or guy wins for playing Freddie Mercury. I can't think of the actor's name. Uh, Remy, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, they the Oscars is obsessed with period movies and biopics. If you do it, welcome. Welcome to the Oscars club. They don't fucking care about anything else. And if you make really cool original movies, like Almost Famous, you will not succeed. Do you think uh, commercial success plays into that quite a bit too? I think the Oscars... I think they use commercial success almost success as a detractor. They think that that um, makes the movie dumbed down, which to an extent is true. I think that there's this balance between if everyone's seeing a movie, I either think it's really good or it's just super right, stupid. Right. Cause there is, there is some kind of formula to like a hit movie plus what Marvel, what, what marketing always works like. Yeah. Marvel. You, you could Let's probably... just have a forgettable villain with a leading actor that's yeah. fairly funny. They, Marvel is the perfect example of just recycled ideas. Right, and it, and it works every time. So I um, pay money. Yeah. Okay, this, got, this really fell off the rails. <laughs> I, was, um, I was very curious about winners and losers at the Oscars. So, Hey, and you know, Kate Hudson... I forgive you for movies like <laughs> Fool's Gold and Bride Wars. It hurts me to say that because I really hated both your performances in those movies, but you're forgiven. She has a get out of jail free card. She can make any movie. She can make right. Sharknado 6. Right. And I'd be like, you know what, Kate? You're okay. You're okay, Kate. I love Kate Hudson. I love Almost Famous. Is there anything else you wanted to say about it? No, I, I'm glad you introduced this to me. I'm glad I had no... Uh, preconceived notions before going into it so definitely going to be one uh, that I recommend yeah please God everyone go watch Almost Famous and then listen to this and then watch everything from the 2001 Oscars and then just talk to me about get talk to me your feelings us. about it yeah <laughs> just get back to me I want to hear your thoughts write a letter if you're <laughs> feeling as as angry. do an Andy Dufresne write me a letter a day <laughs> Shawshank Redemption joke bringing it full circle you gotta love it Okay, we're out of here. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Mace. Thank you.